I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA Podcast. For the past five years in July, volunteers from around the country traveled to FEMA headquarters in Washington, D.C. to celebrate Partnership Day. This year, like many celebrations of gatherings around the country, Partnership Day is virtual and longer. A month-long celebration featuring a kickoff event and virtual exhibitors. Although we're not able to meet in person this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we are together in spirit and we have a lot to celebrate. 50 years ago, six religious denominations and the American Red Cross form the National Voluntary Organization's Active in Disaster, NVOAD, a coalition of national voluntary organizations that help people and communities prepare for, respond to, and recover from disasters. NVOAD now has 75 national member organizations, a state VOAD in all 50 states and six territories, and 15 private sector and educational partners. NVOAD is a critical partner for FEMA in the response to and recovery from disasters around the country. On this episode, we speak with Greg Forrester, president and CEO of the National Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster, Jeff Plague from Feeding America, and Chris Smith from FEMA's Individual Assistance Program, about how collaborative work in disaster response and recovery is making a difference in the lives of disaster survivors every day. We're uh, excited to be joined by Greg Forrester, who's the president and CEO of the National Voluntary Organizations Active in Disasters, NVOAD. Greg, thank you for joining me. Mark, nice to, nice to speak with you, and uh, thanks for having me on your show. Great. And also from FEMA's Individual Assistance Division, the director there, Chris Smith, you're almost a regular here on the podcast. So thank you for joining me once again. Yes, good to be back with you, Mark. Happy to, to uh, contribute to another uh, podcast session. We're also fortunate to have Jeff Plague from Feeding America, another partner organization. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for joining me. Thank you very much, Mark, for the invitation and the opportunity to join you today. So, Chris, I want to start off uh, with you. Let's talk a little bit about voluntary organizations and why they're so important to the work that FEMA does, but also to response and recovery um, from disasters around the country. So, you know, how do voluntary organizations contribute to the FEMA mission? Thanks, Mark. Uh, You know, the FEMA mission of helping people before, during, and after disasters is complicated in that it's so broad in the things that that we are facilitating across the country uh, in the emergency management world. Um, Volunteer organizations help to ease that complication, especially with their relationship with individuals that have been directly impacted by disasters. So, you know, most disasters are are not federally activated. They happen locally. they're, They're quick hits. And the volunteer organizations really support the the community at the grassroots level where people need help, whether it's federalized or not. So, um, in my opinion, from a from a longstanding emergency management view across local, state, and and federal roles, the volunteer organization sector provides a a critical, uh, essential function to provide relief to uh, to people. Uh, and communities after disasters where those resources may not be uh, may not exist at the at that specific level of government 
Uh, and so w- wherever there's a disaster, I can count on the, the fact that, that volunteer organizations will be there uh, and probably well before government to start to provide uh, relief to, to people that need it. So one of those organizers of the, that voluntary effort, the National Voluntary Organizations Active in Disasters, um, you know, Greg, we're celebrating Partnership Day, and we're not celebrating it as a day, but over a month. And it is an opportunity for us to, to think through how voluntary organizations really impact the work of disaster response and recovery and the lives of disaster survivors around the country. Tell me what NVOAD is and how it has evolved over the last 50 years. Yeah, so thanks for that question. Yeah, the big thing for us, again, and like you mentioned, we are celebrating 50 years of, of working alongside of each other and alongside of government. So it's exciting. So National VOAD formed in 1970. Uh, it was, at that point in time, disaster response recovery was really a faith-based operation of, of faith uh, denominations within communities. And as we've evolved, what we've come to realize and know is that there's a lot of different organizations in communities that make communities uh, uh, recover from, respond to, and otherwise help each other uh, from everything from a house fire all the way up to a catastrophic uh, catastrophic event. So right now, National VOAD has 78 of what we call national member organizations. Uh, we have an organization in every state and territory uh, around the country. And what it allows us, as, as Chris mentioned, is that flexibility. Our, our people are already on the ground at the time the disaster is happening because they are members of those communities that are being disaster affected. And so it allows us that, that true sense of understanding what's happening immediately. Uh, and then also the resources that can be uh, enabled uh, by our voluntary uh, organizations. They, they bring in both people and stuff, and they can do it without... Uh, some of the rules that may exist within how government delivers services to those communities. Um, and we can, so we have a, a greater degree of flexibility on how we do that. But we, uh, again, I think our biggest strength is, is we're already in those communities that are being affected uh, ahead of, ahead of time. Uh, so we're helping prepare them at the time of disaster itself. And then post disaster, we can bring in additional resources in association uh, with those uh, member organizations. So your member organizations are already in those communities, but you're already also um, working directly with FEMA for those large-scale disasters. Let's talk a little bit about the the seat in the NRCC, how you uh, accomplish that connection with us. Yeah, so uh, again, the beauty of it is is that we all know that resources exist in three different areas when when we look at community uh, recovery. You know, we look at government resources, we look at resources from nonprofits, and we look at it from the private sector, the businesses that, that are in the areas. So with, uh, with us on the level of FEMA, the NRCC activation for the larger events, uh, we as National VOAD have a seat there. But I think uh, more importantly, when we look at our state level, which you know, FEMA deals, uh, works, to de- works through the state governments in order to deliver services into disaster-affected communities, we also then partner with that state-level government and have our state VOADs have a seat in the emergency operations centers of that state government, of that state emergency operations. So by having uh, the continuity flow of communications coming from the federal level to the state level to actually delivery of services uh, in the community level, it allows for that uh, holistic approach uh, and a much more efficient uh, way to go ahead and deliver services. And so that's why that partnership 
from that very top level all the way down through the local level is so critical to service delivery for survivors. Chris, how does having a representative from the National Voluntary Organizations Active in Disasters, um, you know, and obviously its connection to the member organizations, how does that help FEMA's response? You know, having spent a considerable amount of time in the NRCC um, over the last several years, having the National VOAD in the, the row of, of seats there in the NRCC and the operations center helps give us a capability of problem solving and, and, and really good situational awareness all at the same time. If we come across a situation where we don't have the ability, uh, whether it's from an authority perspective uh, or we don't have visibility from a, we don't have eyes on the ground where volunteer organizations may have something like that, or they are, picking up signals um, at the disaster that that we don't have that information yet. Uh, that is a direct pipeline to the NRCC and the regional uh, response coordination centers as well to really help uh, states and locals provide either that, that assistance that's needed and or helping the volunteer organizations get out to uh, perform their mission. So, you know, it, it's a, I think it's a good, hand-in-glove relationship that um, much of the information that we are able to get and the actions that we are taking, we, we, we provide that to the voluntary organization through the INVOAD. And then, you know, that shapes some of their response as well because they're, they're more well-informed about uh, what, what federal and state resources might be out there. So that, that role in the NRCC and, and voluntary organizations at the state and local level embedded in the emergency operations centers, it, it's a critical role to to really amplify the force multiplier of, of, of helping people when they need it the most. Greg, over the last 50 years, and um, obviously 40 years of FEMA's existence, you know, what are some of the major disasters that has uh, really shaped the way that we approach working with voluntary organizations? Well, you know, Katrina would be one of the, the major impacts. You know, when we look back at what fundamentally changed some of the relationships uh, between government and nonprofits, I, I think Katrina is a highlight because uh, we needed so many more volunteers in the area and so many more resources. And uh, it became one of those catalysts that provoked change. Uh, both on a local level and then on the on the federal level, um, and then you move forward. Of course, uh, you know with Hurricane Sandy that that did a little bit more, and then 2017 was a, a big shift as well as we ended up with Harvey Maria and, and Irma all working together, and we just needed the the federal response and the voluntary response and the business response was absolutely required to come to the table together in order to have enough resources to meet the increased need that was there. So I think as we've seen those, those three, it became an additive process and we became the, we came to rely on each other in a much more fundamental way in order to deliver services. And then now as we move in, we've moved into the COVID environment, we with a whole country response, which I don't think any of us had encountered in the past, even in exercises talking about all 56 state and territories activated at the same time. That's why when we look at uh, Feeding America, which is on the call with us, uh, it became a matter of all right, what footprint do we have nationwide that we can activate in order to work alongside government and 
uh, private sector uh, and nonprofits. Yeah, and I, I really wanted to get to Jeff here, and I'm glad that you made that connection um, because I think learning from all these past disasters is obviously coming to play in the COVID environment and the COVID response. So, Jeff, can you talk a little bit about how Feeding America has learned from past disasters and is maybe applying some of that collaborative approach to meeting the needs of the nation in the COVID environment? Certainly. Thank you very much. I think one of the, the biggest takeaways that we've, we've uh, had from our network's response to the COVID pandemic is that it is unlike any other uh, emergency or disaster situation we've responded to in some pretty fundamental key ways. Uh, and I think Greg alluded to this a little bit in, in some of what he said earlier. In even in instances of major catastrophic emergencies like Hurricane Katrina, the impact was localized, uh, the impact was relatively short-term, and in instances like that, our network of 200 food banks and 60,000 partner uh, food pantries, soup kitchens, churches, community centers are able to sort of collaborate and the partnership, in fact, that in many instances in disaster response and recovery that our network has is with within the network. Um, you know, food banks from neighboring states uh, will send food, vehicles, staff, uh, all, all sorts of other supplies, and understanding that the, the need for that assistance in, in almost every instance in the past has been relatively short-lived in addition to being sort of geographically uh, limited to a, a specific region. What we have struggled with and why the, the sort of support and, and partnership and assistance from FEMA has been so key, particularly in the early uh, weeks and months of the pandemic, is because we, for the first time, were faced with 200 food banks and 60,000 partner agencies struggling to uh, identify uh, sources of food and staffing. Uh, we rely on volunteers to a very large extent uh, to help with the very labor-intensive sort of activities of procuring, sorting, distributing food. Um, in, in those early days, I think the listeners will recall uh, scenes uh, on the evening news of miles-long lines of cars uh, uh, waiting to, to get to food banks to get some assistance. Um, so, so we have uh, learned the importance of uh, understanding better the the federal um, assistance and programs that are available. Chris, I know, is is uh, certainly well aware of how much our network uh, needed to learn at the outset. Many of of our network members are in parts of the country where they've not previously um, interacted with FEMA or or needed to. Uh, utilize um, FEMA public assistance support. Um, so, so that's been a big sort of part of our learning on this as well, how important it is for our network members uh, to have relationships with their state and local emergency management offices. Uh, we, we do think that once sort of things level off to, to whatever, whatever extent they will, in the near future, there's an awful lot of opportunity for us to sort of assess what we can do better, how we can better partner with FEMA and other federal government agencies 
to ensure that food banks are better prepared in the future to meet the needs of, of their communities. Greg, do those challenges resonate uh, with you in what you've heard from other member organizations um, as they try to meet the challenges of the COVID environment? Uh, they do. You know, again, with the, within COVID, you know, to have all 56 state and territories simultaneously has been a challenge. And the other is the relation, the direct relationships that our member organizations have with their local emergency management is crucial. And, and where FEMA has helped out with that is, again, with the introductions. Because of the re- the uh, relationships that FEMA has with state emergency management and then down that line with uh, local emergency management, the introductions and the, the showing of the partnership that we have on the federal level, how it could translate to the state level along with those local uh, member organizations is, is really crucial. Uh, and we're learning from each other as we go. You know, many of the nonprofits like Jeff expressed, we're not used to working within the, the governmental regu- regulations. And uh, the state emergency managers were not used to using granting authority into nonprofits either. And so that balance and that learning is all, can only be done when we begin to trust each other and we have a working relationship. And that's why this has become really a, a crucial effort. And I look forward, you know, as we lean uh, forward into this response and, and the recovery that'll come, we now have a better understanding of how to work each, with each other on a federal and a state level now. And so it, it's only strengthened that partnership. So, Chris, it's Partnership Day, which we're celebrating over the month. It's also hurricane season. FEMA is working with our, our partners, the private sector, state and local emergency managers. And in order to help meet those challenges, we've recently published the Mass Care Emergency Assistance pandemic planning considerations guide for those state and local governments. And also in thinking about how we work with our voluntary partners, how is that helping to meet the needs of disaster survivors in this COVID environment? And where do we go as we approach deeper into hurricane season? Yeah, as Greg mentioned, um, we're blazing some new territory here, but we're not blazing the, 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 the new need for these relationships. And so part of what we are really working to do right now is uh, not only create these pandemic uh, planning consideration guide for state and local governments, um, but being inclusive of the voluntary organizations as we develop, like specifically uh, sheltering job aids uh, for those organizations that will be engaged in sheltering activities. Uh, and and what's the, what, what, what are the prescripted methods and, and modes of, of doing the best we can with the with CDC guidance and and making sure that we provide safe congregate sheltering, non-congregate sheltering, evacuee support in the pandemic environment in the face of larger natural disasters like hurricanes and wildland fire. And so because of, of, of those big challenges that we have and how it's a bit of a shift for us this year uh, in, the, in the COVID challenge, that's a a consistent theme for FEMA is that engagement with our partners uh, who are performing that those mission sets, whether they're state or local level uh, or the volunteer organizations. We also, from a federal perspective, have had to make some changes in, in how we are ultimately um, providing assistance and assessments uh, of that assistance. 
And, and one of those ways that we are facing that in the pandemic environment now is uh, instead of FEMA uh, sending uh, inspectors that are going to validate damages uh, to the streets and the communities that have been impacted by the disaster, over the last several months, we've been working uh, and, and developing and actually executing uh, remote inspection uh, capabilities. Uh, so we're talking with survivors on the phone. We're asking them several questions uh, in, in the same types of questions that we would be asking um, in a face-to-face uh, interview. And that has expedited the, the level of assistance to survivors uh, who need that assistance. But, and here is where the, the voluntary organizations always step in. For those individuals who aren't eligible for federal assistance, they're the ones who uh, the voluntary organizations are always the first to step up to help those that are not eligible. And they're also really great partners to help those that are eligible, but to help them carry those, those dollars farther uh, and help them with uh, other parts of their recovery. And so that partnership, that, you know, having uh, the National VOAD be aware that FEMA is going to be conducting these remote desktop inspections, and then their partner organizations can react to that and know that we're going to be providing assistance in a different way, uh, and that helps the volunteer organizations, uh, I believe, perform their mission that much more effectively. So you all have been very gracious with your time. I have uh, one last question, and it's uh, mostly for Greg and Jeff. For many Americans, maybe who aren't directly impacted by disasters, they can seem in some ways overwhelming. They see them on the nightly news, they see them on 24-7 news, and they, it just seems like a lot. And for some Americans, it's difficult to understand how they can help. So, Greg, starting with you, what are the ways that Americans, when they see these disasters, can re- become involved or can help out in the effort to respond? Yeah, that's a, a great question. First off is to be personally prepared. There's no community that won't eventually have a disaster that's going to affect you know people in that in that geographic. And you know, as we're learning that with COVID, it, you know, every community being affected. So then it's a matter of how are you a viable member of your community. And one of the ways of doing that is making sure that you and your family are personally prepared. So have a preparedness plan so we don't have to rescue you, you know, at the time of disaster when it hits, but that you're able to provide assistance to your neighbors. And that's the the next step is just that, is be willing to give of your time uh, to your neighbors. Find out what organizations exist in your community. Uh, there's some great nonprofits in every community across the United States. And so you can become involved right there locally. And by that engagement, uh, you then extend uh, the resources uh, that are needed then uh, for your community to recover. And then if you want to do even more than that, well, then uh, look to our national VOAD website, uh, nvoad.org. We have a listing of our member organizations that are there along with our state uh, and territory members. And they can go ahead and find ways that they can engage on a much uh, larger level. But, But really for me, we're pushing the idea of Make sure you're personally prepared, and by doing that, you're going to be an asset to your community uh, rather than needing rescue yourself. Jeff, are there ways that uh, the average American can get involved in the the fight against hunger, especially in the COVID response? Absolutely, and and I could not sort of say it better than Greg just did. The the need for volunteers uh, at this time is hard to overstate. Um, As I sort of briefly alluded to previously, uh, food banks really depend on a, a large and dedicated core of volunteers uh, 
to help um, get food to people who need it in communities across the country. So volunteering is is an especially important thing to do. We estimate that 17 million additional people in this country will will become have become and will become food insecure as a result of the pandemic. That's on top of the 37 million who were already food insecure. We are uh, anticipating being um, uh, required to operate at uh, much higher levels than we had been previously and distributing uh, far more food than we had been. So volunteers are hugely important. And again, as Greg uh, suggested as well, um, monetary contributions are always uh, very important and are part of the, the lifeline of our ability to to serve uh, food insecure individuals and families in communities across the country. We welcome your comments and suggestions on this and future episodes. Help us to improve the podcast by rating us and leaving a comment. If you have ideas for future topics, send us an email at fema-podcast at fema.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit fema.gov slash podcast. Podcast.